Welcome to Double Truck Stories, the home to some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Mike Philbrick, your host for the Double Truck Stories podcast. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. No matter where LeBron James takes a shot, it seems that the whole world is always watching. But this season, they seem to be watching LeBron not so much at the rim, but behind the three-point line as the King brews a new dimension to his game we haven't seen in his 16-year career. So does this mean nothing, or does this mean everything? Stick around after the story for my conversation with ESPN's Dave McMenamin as we talk about how the evolution of LeBron James in year one of his Hollywood story. Now we present Three Point Revolution, LeBron's Noticed, by Dave McMenamin. Earlier this month, Facing a near-double-digit deficit in the fourth quarter against the San Antonio Spurs team that had already beaten the Los Angeles Lakers twice this season, LeBron James took over. At first, the dominance was familiar. James streaking across the open court, plowing by a hapless defender for the and-one, slapping his biceps for effect. James coming up with a sudden surge of energy to turn a lazy San Antonio pass into a steal and then passing the ball to a wide-open teammate on the fast break after pushing it up the court. And then, three times, there was LeBron's latest finishing move, the step-back three-pointer that he is taking and making at a rate not seen before in his 16-year career. From 28 feet away with 7 minutes 11 seconds to go to bring L.A. from down 4 to down 1? Good. From 36 feet, with 5 minutes 26 seconds remaining to go from down 2 to up 1, bang. From 29 feet, with 113 left, to double LA's lead from 3 points to 6 to salt the win away? Money. Once I'm in the gym, I'm in my range, James told ESPN. It's not a confidence thing, said James, who shot 29% from three-point territory his rookie season. The jump shot considered the lone weakness in his game when he entered the league. It's a work ethic thing. You put in the work, and then you trust it when you get on the floor. I work on it when we got practice. And when you work on stuff and you put the work in, you get results. And for me, I put the work in. That's just a byproduct of it. Much to Antoine Walker's chagrin, making a shot way out there still awards the shooter the same three points had he made it two feet closer. There are no fours. So, simply, why launch from Orange County when James can surely create a shot from, say, the Hollywood sign? We're playing Houston the other night. They got guys pulling up for 35-foot shots, said Dallas Mavericks coach Rick Carlisle. Just in the regular flow of the game, and that's becoming the norm. There really is no three-point line. I mean, there is, but where guys are shooting from now, they're shooting out there because people are meeting three-point shooters at the line. So they're backing up. And then, you tell me, how are you going to stop James Harden and Eric Gordon from driving the ball? When you're closing out on them from 33, 34 feet out, it's very difficult. Indeed, the average three-point distance in the league this season is 25.14 feet. That's on pace to become the farthest it has been in the past 10 seasons, according to research by ESPN Stats and Information. So, James isn't the only one loving the long ball. The NBA three-point line is 22 feet away from the rim at its closest, in the corners of the court, and 23.75 feet away from the farthest distance out past the top of the key. The distance of James's average three-point shot this season is 26 feet, more than two feet beyond the longest spot on the line. 
So, is this just a natural evolution of the pace and space game? Or is there something more personal to James's three-point journey? During James's last four seasons in Cleveland, multiple Cavs sources put James's deep threes in one of two categories. Either it was a sign of him being in a great groove, looking to land a dagger and light up the crowd, or it was just the opposite, LeBron launching from out there almost out of protest by how his teammates were approaching the game, as if to say, okay, you want to play that way? Fine, I'll just keep bombing from 30. The result, according to one source, when he's pissed off, when he makes it, it's a great shot. When he misses it, he's mad anyway, so he doesn't care. There is a flex that comes with taking a long three. It's an unspoken declaration. The conventional rules don't apply to me. For James, it's more. I deserve to take these two. How far will he go with it? I don't think he is trying to be Steph Curry at this point in his career, said a Western Conference scout. After more than a decade in the NBA with no natural rival, Curry has proven to be the defining foil in James's career. Beyond beating James to win three of the past four NBA Finals, including the past two years straight, Curry has spearheaded the three-point explosion that changed the league. While James will never be a marksman of Curry's caliber, Curry has never shot less than 41% from three-point territory and is currently hitting 49% this season. James is hitting a respectable 37.1% this season, up from a career average of 34.4% on the highest volume of his career. That's better than the likes of J.J. Redick, Damian Lillard, Clay Thompson, and Kevin Durant. It's okay that James will never wrest the unofficial title of greatest shooter ever to live from Curry, although he is, surprisingly, second all-time in playoff three-pointers behind only Curry, just as Curry will never receive the same credit for his passing or overall command of the game on both ends like James does. But James has entered into a realm of respectability from the outside that is a far cry from his reputation. He's a much better shooter than I would have anticipated, Lakers coach Luke Walton said. Like, just watching him day-to-day in practice and the amount of threes he hits when he goes through his shooting drills, he's very consistent with it in the amount he makes them. Yet, James insists his motivation isn't securing a seat at the lunch table with Curry, Harden, Durant, and the rest of the sharpshooting superstars. I've been working on my jump shot for quite a while now and increasing my range every year, James said. For me personally, it's weird because I know where the league is going, but at the end of the day, I can go out there and not take a jump shot and still have an effect on the game. I just know how to play the game. I'm just very cerebral about the game, but I understand that you got to, at times, keep the defense off balance and being able to take a jump shot here, a couple of threes there, keeps them off balance. But for me personally... No matter where the league is going, if there's a jump shot, three craze going on in our league, I can literally not take a jump shot and be fine. As dramatic as some of James's long makes have been, feast your eyes on the game-winning step-back three-pointer over Chris Stapp's Porzingis at Madison Square Garden, or the moonshot to beat the buzzer in the first half of a preseason game against the Warriors, there's a feeling that by taking threes, James is neglecting the rest of his skills that make him special. To me, we still want the priority as attacking the paint and penetrating the defense, Walton said. And then, to me, the later we get into the shot clock, then the more okay we become with that type of shot. And then, obviously, it differs because he's the focal point. Every defense is loaded up on him, so a player of his caliber you trust to have the feel of, hey, I'm feeling good, I'm going to take this shot because it's open. 
as opposed to try to drive and there's going to be four people waiting on me. But we also want him penetrating that defense more often than settling for a 28-foot three-pointer. Yet the prospect of the most physically gifted player of his generation flinging it from the outside is not indefensible. The math is so trumpeted, it's tired at this point. Other than shots at the rim, it's almost always more efficient offensively for an NBA player, at least one with a modicum of shooting ability, to shoot from deep. But for LeBron James, there's more to it than that. Consider LeBron's typical season workload. It's not 82 games. It's 100. It's not October to April. It's October to June. He has played 10,049 playoff minutes in his career, the equivalent of three extra seasons of wear. Letting it fly from downtown? It's less taxing on his 33-year-old frame. I think he is preserving his body, the scout told ESPN. Doesn't want to have everything going to the rim and take a pounding this early in the season. I think those shots will be fewer in the playoffs. Right now, they are easy shots for him to take. Doesn't really have to work for them. And just as important, it's engaging the mental challenge side of things for a guy who has already accomplished so much. I played with Kobe Bryant, and I remember challenging him one time that he can't shoot off the glass, Walton said. And for two straight weeks in practice, he shot every single shot off the glass and made a very high percentage of them. I guess that's something similar that could be possible for James. It's LeBron's shiny new toy in his stocked toy chest and the one he's getting a kick out of playing with these days. For me, I like to work on my game, James said. I try to get better and better and do things the following year that I wasn't so good at the previous year, or bring things to my game that I didn't have the previous year. So I guess increasing my range is one of them, and being confident and sticking my landing and keeping my follow-through up. And surely, he'll keep putting them up. Joining me now is ESPN's Dave McMenamin. Dave... Thank you for making the time again today. Of course, you got it. Uh, we're going to, as we talk about LeBron, Dave, who knows so much about LeBron that I think sometimes LeBron calls Dave to get answers about LeBron. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> but um, in his, uh, so getting into this whole piece, like the evolution of LeBron's game, and um, it seemed that. Even in his prep years, when you would, when people would interview LeBron, he seemed to be like mature and polished, like that he was a student of the game and the history of the NBA. That is, you know, always wanted to wear a twenty-three with Michael Jordan and all that. So this whole change of like, yeah, I'm going to start shooting these like deep three pointers, and I'm going to be hitting them. Is do you think this is more if his awareness of like what the game was and where the game's going? Or is knowledge of the, the the era of play with the big man or go home is sort of history? Yeah, he kind of balked at that premise when I brought it to him where I was, you know, already kind of compiling some research on this. And I asked him after a home game, was this a reflection of you wanting to stay with the times and adapting your game to fit, you know, along with the most dominant players of this era? And he was like, no, like I've, I'm really good at basketball, even if I don't shoot threes. It, right. it just happened to be something that, you know, I've worked on. And because I've worked on it, I, I'm comfortable shooting in games. Um, you know, whether he was going to admit that this was prompted by guys like Steph Curry and James Harden or not, it, it certainly appears to mirror 
um, you know, the, the strengths of some of the, the game's uh, best players that have come up in the wake of LeBron's dominance. But it also seems that, like you mentioned those guys, but for me, the, the thought I got it when I would see like, oh, yeah, he's taking a lot more threes. It's not that you had like a James Harden or uh, a Steph Curry. I thought more like when you get like Al Horford or Boogie Cousins and Draymond Gray, like, like basically that everyone now shoots threes. Where I remember back when if a center ever took a three, whether they made it or not, it would be in the not top ten for Sports Center of like, what are you even trying to do here? So, yeah, unless it was a minute bowl being coached by Don Nelson, uh, <laughs> that that brief experience where he had the seven foot seven guys shooting threes, you rarely saw it. And of course, yeah, you see it with the Lopez brothers now. You see it with Marcus All guys, mm-hmm. you know that that might have attempted ten threes an entire season earlier on in their career are shooting ten threes in a game. So it. Of course, that's a reflection of it. I think the unique part about it for LeBron is, one, coming into the league, like literally if you read any of the stories that, that ESPN.com had at the time, FoxSports.com, et cetera, et cetera, where you get scouts' takes yeah. on LeBron James's, you know, kind of player profile in 2003. It mm-hmm. was, he's excellent passer, great scorer, court vision, uh, but he doesn't have a jump shot. Yeah. And, and, and now, I mean, the jump shot is such a primary part of his attack. And not just shooting threes, because a lot of guys shoot threes, mm-hmm. but he just happens to be shooting deep threes. Like, he shoots deeper threes uh, by about a foot than the average NBA player, right. which, which is interesting. Uh, and, you know, I spoke to Rick Carlisle about this, the Dallas Mavericks head coach, and he said, you know, as you see floor spacing uh, occurring, you, you, he thinks it's intentional. Uh, he brought up guys like Eric Gordon and James Harden in Houston uh, because if you had to extend that, that defense not only up to the three-point line but extend them a couple feet beyond the three-point line, if they close out on you and uh, in, a, in a way that doesn't allow them to have their balance or allow them to, to shade you in either direction if you put them on the floor, you can set yourself up for blow blies and getting into the paint after mm-hmm. you, you know, take some shots from that long distance. And to your point about just, you know, reading those, taking those to heart, some of those early scouting reports, well, LeBron is obviously very confident. He's also a little bit self-aware in the sense that he's open to change and evolving his game. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, again, he is an incredible physical specimen, and his, everyone will tell you when we think about LeBron James and, and what made him so special – you know, it's probably the passing and then his ability to just completely punish teams in the open court. Mm-hmm. But as, you know, a little bit of that athleticism starts to dwindle as, as the years go on, this is something that will allow him to, you know, age gracefully in the game. And, you know, I think of a guy like, you know, Dan Marley, Thunder Dan Marley, right? He yep. was a dunker when he came into the league, and then he became oh, yeah. a three-point specialist. Uh, Larry Johnson, you know, was all about tearing the rim down. And then, you know, he, he was a guy shooting threes for the New York Knicks uh, mm-hmm. on those good teams that he played with under Jeff Van Gundy. And so, you know, you kind of see LeBron following a similar evolution where he still has th- this incredible, uh, you know, uh, body with, with all sorts of leaping ability and acceleration, et cetera, et cetera. But as those things start to dissipate, um, this should allow him to continue to be, you know, a really great player because, of course, we know that the court vision and the passing ability won't go anywhere. Yes. And also the other thing, though, is going back to you know, longevity, as you were mentioning, the numbers you threw out there were about his minutes were pretty staggering. Well, I mean, most of us, you know, you always 
you know, you oh, LeBron's been to this many NBA finals in a row, but like no one really thinks like, what is that by the numbers? And the way you put it basically when you like, hey, I'm going to go do the math here and how his postseason numbers that he has, like it's basically he's played three more seasons than when you combine that all together. I mean, that's a lot of miles. Yeah, I mean, he's already a 16-year veteran, but yeah, you add in those three seasons, 19 years in the league is like that's what Robert Parrish did, and then he was a you know basically a human victory cigar on the 72 and 10 Bulls team. You know, yeah. he didn't have anything left. It, LeBron still clearly has a lot left uh, to give to the game, but you know, just this week, a very atypical circumstance for LeBron, his body fails him. He has a strained groin in a game against uh, the Golden State Warriors, and that's not a Strange injury. Steph Curry had the same injury caused him to miss 11 games. It's mm-hmm. only strange in the context of LeBron because we just aren't used to seeing him, uh, you know, have have his body not be the most, uh, you know, elite part of his package, elite part of, of what he brings to the game of basketball. And again, this three point, I guess, fascination or, or wrinkle to his game isn't necessarily, uh, it wasn't like, I don't believe he went into the summer, like, I got to work on the three because I might strain my groin and sure. my, my body might start to fail me. But it really does work out that way uh, as you look about, as you look at the potential for him to continue to be, uh, you know, a completely dominating force as he gets older. I mean, yeah, because when, I mean, when he takes it to the rim, it's not like he's not getting, like, like okay, great, you still call, you call a foul and I'm going to the line, but that still hurts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true. It's more of a physical pounding. Um, and, and, you know, I, I did speak to a scout for the story, and it was you know, right along those lines was, was his opinion of, of why he's doing it. And he said, you know, I think he's preserving his body, was a quote. Um, mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, early season and in games that, you know, he's barely getting up for emotionally because he knows it's a long season and has to really save himself to be primed come April through June or however long the list of Lakers season goes. You know, you can also kind of guard against anything happening that that can hurt that plan. And uh, again, I, it's not like he avoids contact and doesn't drive to the lane. Right. And, you know, he, he wants to get free throws. He knows that's the easiest way to control uh, an outcome of a game. But um, is he going to be hell bent and put the ball on the floor every single time? No, I mean, I, and you know, also it's literally sometimes there's possession where rather than running 94 feet from baseline to baseline. He's running 60 feet from baseline right. to three-point line. And that's a way to preserve pockets of energy. That's how he described it last year. Uh, and Brian Windhorst wrote, wrote an interesting story during the 2018 postseason about LeBron actually, in the player tracking data, moving just the, uh, about the slowest of any key player in, in last year's playoffs. But, of course, when he did choose to accelerate, uh, he made the most of it. It's ama- yeah. It's amazing how either it's like at times conscious or subconscious working uh, together to basically be like with this. Like you said, like after that many minutes, you learn to be efficient, whether you like it or not, because it's the only way you're going to keep going. Yeah, and you better be. And again, there's a, a thin line, you know. To you know, am I being low, efficient or am I loafing? You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, LeBron used, uh, to me, very interesting uh, verbal gymnastics when describing this phenomenon to Rachel Nichols in a sit-down that, that ran on Christmas Day in the extended mm-hmm. version. He said he's camouflaging parts of his game. He's learned how to camouflage parts of his game, mm-hmm. uh, which basically means, like, hey, I can get away with 
not going all out on defense, certain possessions, sure. uh, that allows me to have energy in the tank to completely command the action on the offensive end. I wish we had some like eyewitness news music here right now so we could say like today, now on Groin Watch, as we talk about. Oh, it seems about, yeah, it seems that, uh, that is, uh, that's getting all the attention, but also, um, with the, with, as this Laker team builds through the years, does it seem like, could you, could an injury or something where LeBron sort of is, like, isn't being able to contribute like he has been, obviously, uh, even if he's day to day, could that actually help a team like this where, while they aren't expected to, you know, win the Western Conference by any stretch, is like letting these guys not always rely on LeBron something that could actually benefit them? If they can actually do it, it'll benefit them. You know, like it, it, it's such a sink or swim proposition here. The mm-hmm. Cavs could not do it at all over the last right. four years. Cleveland went four and twenty-three in the games when LeBron sat, either because of rest or injury, and, and that would be a debilitating for the Lakers' playoff hopes. I mean, now they could still make the, make the playoffs. I'm not saying that, but you know, say you want to host a first round series. Every mm-hmm. game matters so much in this packed Western Conference. So, yep. say he misses two weeks and, and they go, you know, the, the way I posited it in a column I wrote on Christmas Day, like, say they go one and seven, much the mm-hmm. same way the Houston Rockets over the last eight games have gone seven and one. And now yep. the, the, the Rockets are suddenly in the playoff picture. Well, guess what? Then you're out of the playoff picture. And then the, the first 35 games of the season that you spent, like, kind of playing maybe a little bit better than expectations are kind of shot. Um, and then you actually have to play above your head for the final, you know, whatever game sure. to be left of the season, 40 games or so to actually secure a playoff spot. And, and then, then it becomes, you know, even more, uh, even a smaller margin of error, you know, if there are more injuries that pop up to LeBron or anybody else. So um, if they can handle it, wonderful. And I think that would say a lot also about, what the Cavs, excuse me, what the Lakers uh, postseason and, and offseason plan should look like. Because if they can handle the stress and you see Kyle Kuzma and Brandon Ingram and Josh Hart and uh, Lonzo Ball leading this team, you say, oh, wow, maybe really our, our best bet is not to uh, trade for Anthony Davis or mm-hmm. trade for Dame Lillard or trade for anybody. But our paramount decree here should be to keep these guys because they are quite good already. Then we have LeBron, and then we have to use that max salary slot we have in free agency this summer uh, to be to fortify our team that way, and not through a trade. So now, I mean, you know, in the way, way, way too soon to really rate it all. But as far as the LeBron residency in LA, as we could call it, how is um, has that been? How has that been going according to any plan, or not according to any plan? Like what what is what's happened that's expected or unexpected? I don't think anybody expected the first real fight in an NBA game in like 10 years <laughs> since uh, the Denver Nuggets played the Knicks at the Garden and Carmelo Anthony got perhaps the most egregious 15-game suspension in the history of the league. Uh, <laughs> but you couldn't have planned for that. Uh, but, but really, to me, someone who's covered LeBron for the last four years, you've seen a, a very even-keeled LeBron, even when they've had, you know, some somewhat struggles. I mean, so obviously he's coming out the gates two and five was not mm-hmm. according to plan. And then you have 
the Magic Johnson meeting with Luke Walton, where it's really kind of put their feet to the fire. But yeah. uh, it, it's been pretty smooth sailing, and you've seen a, a pretty happy LeBron. And and when his mood is is you know such, uh, life is kind of easy because you know if, if his mood is such, he's going to treat regular season games uh, with kind of uh, the proper attitude uh, to, to get them done and, and taken care of and. They really haven't squandered too many wins um, this year, too many games that they should have won. I mean, for the most part, uh, the sign of this actually being a good team is that they take care of business against the teams they're supposed to beat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, has that been consistent the entire year? No. I mean, you know, you lose to Houston when Houston was under 500, but now we see Houston surging. You lose to the Washington Wizards when they've been a mess all year, but, you know, John Wall had 40 and 10 and, and the Lakers were flying from Charlotte to DC on the second night of a back to back. And they had just taken care of business in, in Charlotte. Um, and, and so, you know, it, there's been, you know, and that Brooklyn loss, obviously that, to end that road trip was a bad one, but you know, that's having a, a team of professional athletes uh, playing a game after spending the night in New York city. <laughs> we know how that goes. So right. uh, I, I, I don't think there's been too much, that you would point to and say it hasn't been a rousing success. Le- LeBron really hasn't uh, shown any s- sense of, of falling off. Uh, he's managing his body well. He's still effective playing in a Western Conference where it, it's theoretically a, a tougher night in, night out paddle than he had in the East the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. The young players have acquitted themselves uh, around LeBron. I mean, I, I think the only player you'd say that, that hasn't shown uh, a level of development that you, you'd hope for would be Lonzo Ball, but even he is so t- tantalizing uh, that you know there's nights when he can go 0 for 7 from 3 like he did against Memphis and then followed mm-hmm. up the next game by harassing Steph Curry all around the court and beating the defending champs at Oracle Arena. And so uh, really, I mean, uh, I, I think, I don't know record-wise, I mean, they're still around on pace to win the 48 games that Vegas thought they would win. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think they've played better than most expectations that have been laid out there. It also seems that when you, you mentioned about how LeBron seems like kind of happy or even keeled, it's like that's one of the things I've always thought when you ever hear about comparisons to Michael Jordan. It seems that like one of the critics of LeBron would say that he's not as ruthless as Michael Jordan. And that's why he couldn't be Michael Jordan, where it seems that what LeBron brings to the table that Michael Jordan does not have, didn't seem to have, was patience. And it seems that he, you know, he knows what he's signed up for here. It has a little more. I mean, if you don't think that, if you think that Michael Jordan doesn't have patience, you can just go find Kwame Brown and ask him if he has any patience. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, and LeBron has said repeatedly, if he has one character flaw, it is being impatient. And and Mm -hmm. so, it's something he's actively had to work on um, mm-hmm. this season, I would say. But well, that's about his self awareness and be like, okay, like I know I need to be more patient here. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, listen, it, it, he would basically be unreasonable otherwise. Like, mm-hmm. if you know what you're signing up for, and I think he used uh, some terminology along those those terms. Like, I knew what this was going to be when they started off slow out of the gates. Well, then you know if you're a man of reason, uh, then you have to experience what you signed up for uh, without expecting it to change in an instant. And 
perhaps it's his patience. Uh, perhaps it was uh, to me a pretty savvy move by you know LeBron and Magic and Rob Palinka to to not put the blanket of expectations of championship mm-hmm. surrounding this season. Um, so these guys have been able to develop in a manner where, again, looking uh, at the fourth spot in the West halfway through the season feels like a success. It doesn't feel like a less than. Um, it, it's it's kind of gone, like I said, I mean, it, gone according to plan and gone quite well uh, for this group. Based on what you know about the, or what you've heard and think about any changes to one and done, what are in – how LeBron, you know, is extending himself and how long he will play. What are the what are the possibilities that LeBron James Jr., his son Bronny, uh, will be in the league with his dad? I mean, I, listen, I, I have to think LeBron James is a pretty good talent evaluator, but we've always known that, like, you know, sometimes it's not the case for great players. Uh, you know, sure. Um, uh, you mentioned Michael and Kwame. <laughs> it's never really yeah. Michael's strength uh, determining whether young players can play or not. But right. the, the the thing that I think you've seen kind of not just from the James family, but across the league, um, this generation of players that, that grew up with parents in the league mm-hmm. uh, have really benefited from you know, kind of a professional training program from an early age. And so mm-hmm. whether that be Jaron Jackson Jr., whether that be Sharif O'Neal, whether that be Scotty Pippen's son, who's a top prospect, Greg Anthony's son, who's a top prospect. I mean, yeah, you saw in the past, every once in a while, you see a Kobe Bryant and Jelly Bean or Luke mm-hmm. Walden and Bill Walden or, or uh, Del Curry and, and Steph Curry, but uh, Clay Thompson, Michael Thompson. But it, it seems to be there's a wave that is even more so um, uh, juniors uh, of NBA players uh, or children of NBA players. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, based on that, I, I would think LeBron James Jr. will be an NBA player. And then if he makes it into the league, listen, whether it is, even if he's a borderline prospect, some teams yeah. got to take him because LeBron's already said he wants to play with him. So sure. it means if you, you draft him as a second round draft pick, guess what? You get to also get LeBron James on a veteran minimum contract probably. Which would be great for any franchise, <laughs> you know. So uh, I, I do think it's going to happen. So I guess the lesson here is that, uh, as much as we've talked about it today and what we've left out, the uh, the LeBron James story is never going to end. <laughs> Probably not. I think that's the way. You know, that's why you signed a lifetime deal with Nike, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> as long as you're, as long as you got a heartbeat. Um, you know, the way uh, the LeBron James empire has grown, uh, it, it appears there will still be an audience for it. Well, we'll uh, you and I will be back here in 2023 when we're talking about where Bronny is going to play. <laughs> Let's do that. All right. Dave, thank you so much for your time once again. Of course. Thanks, Michael. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll be back soon with more Double Truck Stories podcasts.